Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. A gorgeous day today to take your dog for a walk. We have a uh, Eric replacement this week. Matt is with us in the booth, our booth engineer. Matt, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. First question, which I already asked you off air. Well, we need to get out of the way first is, do you have a dog? I do have a dog. Okay, good. It's going to work out. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, he's a Catahoula mix. Uh, I think he's got a bit of a uh, Chesapeake Bay Retriever in him, too. Hmm. Yeah. Very, very high energy dog. <laughs> yeah. How old? Uh, he's three now. Uh, Catahoula Leopard Dog, the, the uh, state dog of Louisiana, mm-hmm. I believe bred to hunt squirrels. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. High energy, active, physical. He has a... I guess a natural herding instinct. Yeah. You know? They kind of look like cattle dogs a little bit. They do. And I have two cattle dogs. They kind so. and, and I get a lot of people also saying that he kind of looks like a blue healer because he's got the, the spots and that kind of the weird markings like uh, yep. like a lot of blue healers do. So Yeah. I have one blue healer, one red healer, both Australian cattle dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well... Nice to have you today. I hope you enjoy the dog show. I'm sure I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So interesting show today. I'm going to talk about, um, I was struck by a a magazine that I sometimes get called Psychology Today. And uh, just a couple days ago, I was standing in line at the grocery store and I saw the most recent issue. And on the cover, it says the power of no how setting limits sets you free. And it uh, brings up a lot in the context of working with dogs, for sure, because there's a lot of differing opinions on whether or not you should even say no at all to your dog. And if you do, how do you do that? And all this sort of stuff. So I'm going to read a little bit from that article and also add in my own comments about um, my expertise, which is in dog training and behavior, what I've been doing for the past 12 years in the Seattle area. My website is sensitivedog.com, and I do in-home private lessons uh, around Seattle and the east side. And uh, if we have time, which I think we will, um, I'll also get into another interesting topic, which sort of ties into saying no, and really the power of no, or really personal power, and especially for women, um, most of my clients, probably 75% of my clients are women. I think there's a number of reasons for that as far as uh, dogs being part of the family um, and also maybe women having, a, generally speaking, uh, perhaps a harder time setting boundaries or having a powerful presence. Um, but I did some recently did some really interesting research on the history of the word bitch because <laughs> I think, uh, do you know the, uh, Matt, do you know, where the slang term for a woman bitch originated from? I don't know where it originated from. Do you know anything about the history of like what what it well are you familiar with the term as far as dogs go? Yeah, right. it's a pregnant uh, female female right? dog, yeah. so an intact female dog so not spayed. Um so I was like, well where did that where did that um how did that get transferred to to women, you know, how did we end up with this, with this label, um, bitch, and and kind of where did that come from? So I did some research around that. Uh, it was very very interesting and enlightening. 
Um, so I'm going to talk about those cool things on today's show. Before I get into that, um, I do have a few announcements. Um, I have a couple of really great events coming up. Um, one of them I don't have the details of yet, but I wanted to get the date out for those of you who might be interested in this because I think it's going to fill up really fast. Um, and I'm going to be interviewing um, Greg Dale, who's the founder of Rainbow Bridge Hearts. And it's a local company that makes um, glass-blown hearts, um, and they incorporate a swirl of your pet's ashes into the heart or an, um, in addition to a few different um, colored swirls of glass, there's a white swirl that you'll see in all of the different hearts. I've posted pictures of these on our Facebook page, and that is The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So if you're not a fan of our Facebook page, be sure to find that uh, on Facebook and be a part of the conversation in between our live shows every Wednesday at 2. So these hearts are, they have these uh, few different swirls of color in them coming out from the center, and the white swirl they actually use your pet's ashes, and they're beautiful. And I saw these uh, for the first time. I was introduced to these just a couple months ago at a local pet store called Health Mutt. It's a pet supply store on 65th, right near Whole Foods on uh, Roosevelt, 65th and Roosevelt in Seattle. And I saw these, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm going to do with Chewy, my dogs, my first dog who passed away four and a half years ago. Um, with his ashes. I've had his ashes for this long, just in an urn in my office. I was like, well, I don't really know what to do with them, but I don't want to just like throw them out, you know, and I wasn't really moved to like spread them anywhere in particular. And you're not really supposed to do that anyway. Um, And then I saw these hearts and they're just gorgeous. So um, we're going to be doing an event. The, The response that I've gotten also, as I posted pictures of these on Facebook, has really been overwhelming. Every time I tell someone about it, they're like, oh, my gosh, I want this for, you know, Sparky or Fluffy or whatever, their dog or cat whose ashes they still have. So uh, we're going to do a community event on Monday, December 16th. It's going to be in the morning. I think it's going to start around 9 a.m., Monday, December 16th, where um, on that day, I'm going to have my heart made with Chewy's ashes, um, and I'm inviting anybody who wants to come and have uh, a heart made with their pet's ashes to do this together as a community And um, anyone who uh, you don't have to live locally in order to have your pet's ashes made. So I know there's a lot of listeners around the country who get our podcasts from iTunes or who listen to the show through our website. Um, And you can uh, totally participate this um, in this. And if you can't be there in person because you live out of state or if maybe you just can't make it because you have to work or something and can't get the time off. Um, then we'll stand in your place and uh, take a photo of your pet's heart as it's being made and um, just honor your pet as as its heart's being made. So save the date. I don't have details yet. Um, I'll have those probably by next week. But um, December 16th, would love for um, anyone who's interested to join me in having a heart made for your pet who has passed away if you have ashes that you've been hanging on to for a long time, this is a really beautiful way um, to remember your pet and uh, sort of 
have them on display in a way that's maybe more comfortable for people to see as opposed to an urn. Everyone knows what the urn means. Um, and they're just gorgeous. You can They're called Rainbow Bridge Hearts. And I've posted a bunch of pictures of, of their hearts on our Facebook page, as I said. And you can also just Google Rainbow Bridge Hearts and um, you'll find them online as well. So like I said, I'll have more details about that. If you're like, oh my gosh, I totally want in on this and you want to make sure um, that you get a space, you can email me now um, if you want, host at dogradioshow.com, and I'll just start an informal um, list of people, and then once we open registration, I'll, I'll, uh, you'll be the first to know, and um, we'll let you get set up with the company. The hearts are only $150. They're gorgeous, um, glass-blown, hand-blown um, in Seattle, in a studio in Fremont, and um, I'm really excited for this event. I think it's going to be really powerful, um, one, to just finally have something done with Chewy's Ashes and to um, share that experience with the community and just celebrate all of the pets who we have loved and lost. So uh, hope hope you join me for that. Again, if you want to be put on a list to make sure that you get a space for that, um, you can email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's my direct email host at dogradioshow.com. Also have a uh, fundraiser coming up December 7th, Saturday. It's a dance, a dance night that happens about every couple weeks. It's called Inferno, and it's a women's dance. It's at Neighbors Club in Seattle on Capitol Hill on Broadway. And we're going to be doing a fundraiser for the AHELP project, which is the Animal Hospice End of Life and Palliative Care Project an organization that I'm on the board of directors for. It's a really, really fun night. If you love dancing, it's just a blast to go to. It is women only. So sorry, guys, you can't come. But um, it's a blast. And it's at Neighbors uh, Saturday. And it's early. It's from 6 to 10. So it's a nice, uh, nice early night. It'll be dark already, unfortunately. So it'll feel like nighttime. Uh, but we'll be doing a fundraiser. We'll have a, a whole bunch of people on, from the board as well as the executive director of AHELP um, there to answer any questions or if you're interested in getting involved and volunteering or if you just want to come out and have a fun night, dance, and support a great organization. That is December 7th, Saturday, uh, 6 to 10 p.m. at Neighbors Nightclub. No uh, RSVP or registration or anything like that. Just show up and have a good time. And I'll look forward to seeing you on the dance floor. So uh, when we come back from break, um, going to talk about first this um, article, The Power of No, um, on the cover of Psychology Today magazine, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. Going to talk about the word no and its place in your relationship with your dog talk about some certain things that might complicate that, maybe clarify this for you. Um, there's a lot of um, varying opinions about whether the word no should even be used at all, and if so, how. So we'll get into all sorts of detail about that when we come back from break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Dog the world unite. Dancing dogs. Yeah, kind of loud, funky dog. 
When your dog or cat is sick, you go to the vet. But sometimes they need more advanced care with a veterinary specialist. Hi, I'm Dr. Beth Davidow with Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Veterinary specialists receive more than 10,000 hours of extra training in dedicated fields like radiology, surgery, cardiology, oncology, and more. If your pet is facing a complicated health issue, it may be best to see a specialist. Talk to your veterinarian about the appropriate time for referral. To learn more about access and our specialists, visit criticalcarevets.com. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. Hey Seattle, this is Julie Forbes. When I got engaged a couple of years ago, one of the first things my fiancé said about our wedding was, we need a wedding planner. I thought to myself, what do we need a wedding planner for? We hired Jenny Harding and New Chapter Weddings, and I now know there is no way we could have done it without her. If you are planning a wedding or corporate event, do yourself a favor and hire New Chapter Wedding and Event Planning. They did an amazing job for us, and they will for you. Find them online at newchapterweddings.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to BioClean, we cover the world of living successfully with your animal friends. This week, January 12th, it's our first Vet Sunday of the new year. Dr. Bill Burlingame will join us in the studio. We'll be talking about immune support for our animal friends and ourselves, Pluckner syndrome and cold lasers, plus open phone lines. So plan to give us a call with all your animal medical care questions on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 11. You're listening to the refreshingly different Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. And we're back talking about a, let's see, the cover story on psychology today that certainly jumped out at me as I was standing in line. It's called The Power of No. How Setting Limits Sets You Free. Uh, What does this have to do with dogs, you might ask? Well, you probably already know the answer to that. You know, what does the word know or setting boundaries, you know, what is its place in your relationship with your dog? First of all, dog training, the world of dog training is not a regulated profession, for better or for worse. Um... There's no certain, you know, course where you, if, if I want to be a, you know, if, if you want to be a dog trainer, you go and you do this four-year graduate level college program, get a degree, take a test, etc. cetera. Um, anybody can be a dog trainer, say they're a dog trainer, make it up. Um there's no consequence. You're not going to go to jail for just being like, I'm going to be a dog trainer and then just go make it up. You might not get many referrals, but <laughs> um, it's not like being a psychiatrist or lawyer or doctor or something like that where you, you can actually go to jail if you're like, hey, I'm a doctor, and then you're actually not a doctor. So there are tons also, too, um, 
there are so many different philosophies and ideas and training techniques and um, theories about learning and approaches and styles and all of these things. And it's one of the things that I've noticed with my clients over the years is that a lot of them come to me sort of overwhelmed because they do a lot of reading and they've read a whole bunch of books and have, you know, looked online and found all of this information. And then what they find commonly is that everybody disagrees with everybody else. And one person says, do this. And then the other person says, no, don't do that, do this. And they don't know which end is up and which end is down. So um, I would say probably one of the topics that that um, manifests the most is the, the concept of corrections, setting boundaries, the use of the word no. I've heard um, some people tell me that they've worked with other trainers who told them to never say the word no because then the dog will think that you're saying no to everything or I I don't even know what that really means, but it doesn't make sense to me and I don't think it gives dogs enough credit. Um, And then less so now, which is good, but certainly still, um, you know, prevalent is also the you know, the other end of the spectrum where you have people who still use sort of overly harsh techniques in working with dogs, uh, sort of using force, forcing submission, all this sort of stuff. And I don't agree with that either. Um, I'd say one of the most important things is that every dog is an individual, just like people. Dogs vary as much from one to the next as people do, just in their dog ways. Different personalities, different temperaments, different strengths and weaknesses, different learning styles, different genetics, different history, different environment. There are so many factors. There's just no way that I could, you know, with this basic belief, really come up with one technique that's going to work for everybody because it just doesn't. Every dog that I work with is different. And I have to approach every dog as an individual. And figure out what combination of all of the techniques out there work best for this dog. Generally speaking, dogs, I would say, this is probably one of the things I could say is probably as close to always as I can, is that they always do well with some combination of praise and correction and that the two are generally balanced. It's not one or the other. Positive reinforcement. Yes, of course. Tell your dog what you like. In fact, even focus on that. That should be what most of your energy and time goes into is is pointing your dog in the right direction, telling them what you like, reinforcing the behaviors that are desirable. Certainly not focusing on the word no, not focusing on correction and just correcting the dog all over the place because they're going to be like, well, what do I do? What, what do I do to get attention? What's the right choice? So just a balance. Um, There's all sorts of different techniques, and I would say ultimately you want to do what what you're comfortable with as the human because you're going to have to be the one implementing it. And if you're not comfortable with something and if you don't get an explanation that makes you comfortable with what's happening, then go to somebody else. That's probably one of the most important things is that whoever you work with for training and behavior is a good fit for you in addition to having the skill and expertise to evaluate your dog as an individual. There's a lot, you know, and I think what's interesting is that it seems that our beliefs about how to work with dogs say more about our beliefs than it really does about working with dogs. 
Um, and the word no is is a big deal. I mean, there's a whole front page article on Psychology Today about the word no and about people's hangups around it and also about its importance. Uh, it says, wielded wisely, no is an instrument of integrity and a shield against exploitation. It often takes courage to say it. It is hard to receive, but setting limits sets us free. Um, I'm sure most people have heard that in relationships, boundaries are necessary for healthy relationships. And I would say that that is certainly true for our relationships with our dogs as well. So there's uh, the article says, I'm just going to read some little um, excerpts here from the article, but you can get the full article, um, this current edition of Psychology Today. It's a magazine. I'm sure you can find it online as well. There's a lot of talk and a lot to be said for the power of yes. Yes supports risk-taking, courage, and an open-hearted approach to life whose grace cannot be minimized. But no, a metal grate that slams shut the window between oneself and the influence of others is rarely celebrated. It's a hidden power because it is both easily misunderstood and difficult to engage. It's likely that we are unaware of the surge of strength we draw from no because, in part, it is likely confused with negativity. Either can involve a turning away, a shake of the head, or a firm refusal, but they are distinctly different psychological states. And I think that that's an important point to really get clear about, and I love that they you know, start this article out with that distinction, is that a lot of times, and I've noticed this with dogs, people are like, oh, you know, they, they maybe they have a dog that, you know, they haven't worked with at all, haven't set any boundaries with the dog. The dog hasn't had any education or training. And it's, you know, maybe a dog with a lot of personality and a lot of presence. And the dog's just developed a whole bunch of undesirable behaviors. And the people are just like, oh, we need to get somebody's help. But they sort of dread Sometimes, not not often, but sometimes I get people who have this um, sort of expectation of working with a trainer of that they're now just going to have to be like a militant disciplinarian with their dog and it's going to be very unpleasant and it's all just going to be about how bad the dog is and, you know, a very negative attitude around setting boundaries. And I love that this article pieces that out because saying no and setting boundaries does not mean that you generally have a negative attitude. Uh, the article says, negativity is a chronic attitude, a pair of emotional glasses through which some people get a cloudy view of the world. Negativity expresses itself in a whining perfectionism, a petulant discontent, or risk-averse naysaying. It's an energy sapper. Negative people may douse the enthusiasm of others, but rarely inspire them to action. Negativity certainly ensures that you will not be pleased. You will also not be powerful. Um, very, very well put. And I think that that connection between negativity and power is really important. The whole point of setting boundaries and saying no is that you're acting in a way that's powerful for yourself, saying where your limits are. And it's really important. And dogs, a lot of dogs, if they don't sense that strong presence in a way that's not generally negative, as this article speaks to, but just that there are limits, it can freak them out. They can get anxious. They're like, oh, my gosh, this whole big, scary world, it's all up to me. I guess I'm the one in charge. And then they just don't know what to do with themselves. So they just are ruled by their impulse and instinct, 
one of the things about the word no in working with dogs, not and it's okay, so it's not really about the word no. It's about setting boundaries and giving corrections. So no is a nice short word that has an inherent meaning to us. So it's, you know, sort of a natural thing to go go to um, for us as people. But dogs are not verbal. So I'm talking, it's kind of, I don't know, contradictory because I'm talking a lot about this word no, and this article speaks to the human world, so it would talk about the word, but dogs aren't verbal. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, and a lot of people say no all over the place, and the dogs are just like, whatever, and ignore them. So just to clarify that, you know, when we're, when we're talking about working with dogs, it's really not about the word no. It's about what you do and how you're being when you say it. But the point of this conversation is about our discomfort in setting the boundaries in the first place. So that's why I'm focusing on the word here, because we're talking more about people than we are dogs. So I was talking about negativity. Where negativity is an ongoing attitude, no is a moment of clear choice. It announces, however indirectly, something affirmative about you. So the that's really important because dogs are in the moment. Dogs are moment to moment. If you watch dogs correct each other, which they do, and that's where if I if someone ever questions my position on you know, setting boundaries and using corrections um, and saying the word no, it's like, well, dogs correct each other. I mean, that's sort of the way the world works. Like there sometimes are consequences and it's not about being mean. It's not about hurting the dogs or scaring the dogs or intimidating them or whatever, but you have to be able to set boundaries. I mean, it would be like never setting boundaries with children. They tend to go nuts. So, um, my always go back to how do dogs communicate? If we're going to try to educate a dog about anything, really we need to be able to speak their language, which is all the nonverbal stuff. And if we look at how they're structured socially, dogs certainly set boundaries with each other all over the place, and they're not complicated about the boundaries. Dogs just like back off, you know, a little snap. Back off, and then the dog backs off. Okay, cool. Don't take my bone. Okay, I won't. And it's not like, you told me no, and you hurt my feelings, and what does that mean about me? And, oh, you know, I mean, we people are so funny in how um, complicated we can make everything emotionally. And one of the things that I find very refreshing about working with dogs is that they're just in the moment. And, you know, it's just if someone crosses a line, you just tell them, hey, you crossed a line for me that you crossed a boundary. And under ideal situations, the other dog is like, "Okay, fine. And then they don't do it again. And that's it. And then they're cool. Um, So it is refreshing. But I liked what they said about no, rather than it just being it's not about having a negative attitude that's ongoing. It's just about when necessary. um communicating no in in that it's a moment of clear choice and it just is a very direct communication very simple and that's it and dogs are a really wonderful um, context to practice that because they are so in the moment and they also are not emotionally complicated like we are not to say that they don't feel emotion because they do but they don't have the the ego involved like we do 
Okay, uh, more on this when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and I'm reading from Psychology Today's latest edition, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You ain't nothing but a Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S.-sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Hey Seattle, this is Julie Forbes. When I got engaged a couple of years ago, one of the first things my fiancé said about our wedding was, we need a wedding planner. I thought to myself, what do we need a wedding planner for? We hired Jenny Harding and New Chapter Weddings, and I now know there is no way we could have done it without her. If you are planning a wedding or corporate event, do yourself a favor and hire New Chapter Wedding and Event Planning. They did an amazing job for us, and they will for you. Find them online at newchapterweddings.com. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you, like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. Lewis and Clark would be proud. We're exploring new territory on the air every day right here on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And I'm talking about the word no, the power of no. There was an... um, issue of Psychology Today magazine that's on the shelves right now, and it uh, certainly grabbed my attention that says, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. And, um, you know, it brings up, there's certainly a lot that pertains to our relationships with our dogs, because this is an area where a lot of people struggle, and there's it's also an area where there's a lot of disagreement among professionals, whether to say the word no at all in the first place. Some people say you shouldn't say no to your dog ever. I don't agree with that, um, but it certainly is out there. Um, we are clearly, you know, I said earlier, our beliefs about how to work with dogs says more about our beliefs than it does really about dogs. Um, I think what's important is that we really look at how dogs communicate with each other 
and know how to communicate them using their language as much as possible. And dogs certainly correct each other. They are able to do so generally very effectively in ideal situations with socialized dogs with what they have just given in their bodies, mainly their mouths, what's around their mouths. Dogs communicate with nonverbal communication. They don't use words. So as I'm talking about the word no, that's really for us because we are verbal. It's a way that we relate to setting boundaries, saying no, just say no. (laughs) Um, But dogs, they don't care if you say no or any other word. It's really what you're doing along with that. That matters. Um, The point of this conversation, though, is I'm really more speaking to the human aspect of this not the dog. So that's why I'm focused on the word. So I've read a little bit from this um, this article. It's great. I really recommend it. It's from Psychology Today, their current issue, The Power of No. And um, talking about how in the first segment, no does not, I'm not talking about having a negative attitude. And that's really important. And, you know, they come out with this right in the beginning of the article. And it's something that I find myself clarifying for my clients frequently. So it must be a thing for people where we have these two things collapsed. Negativity is an ongoing attitude. No is a moment of clear choice. So I'm not talking about having this chronic negative attitude. And this is really important because You know, people don't usually have questions for me about how to praise their dog effectively. We know how to praise. We know how to say yes. We have a hard time saying no and also, you know, to other people and also to our dogs. And part of that is maybe somebody doesn't have issues around setting boundaries, but maybe they just don't know how to do that with their dog in a way that's effective. One of the things that I want to make clear about this conversation is that if if you some were somehow able to measure you know positive energy t- towards your dog meaning praise um or reinforcement of behaviors that you like and then you know negative energy so not bad but just fundamentally negative so correction or consequence if you were to somehow measure you know positive versus negative over time We want the majority of that time and energy that you put towards your dog to be positive. You know, I think it's especially crucial for raising young dogs, and it applies to dogs of all ages, is that you don't want to be focused on, and this happens, you don't want to be focused on the problems, the challenging behaviors, the undesirable behaviors, the annoying things that you, that your dog does or the irritating things that your dog does or whatever. You don't want to be just focused on those all the time because then you're just feeding into those and you'll get more of that. So we want to put our energy into mostly what we want to come back to us again. Um, you know, we want to frame our dogs as good dogs and skillfully keep them pointed in that direction with a focus on what we want, we can cleanly and effectively acknowledge when they do something that needs to be negated. So it's, it's like about redirecting, generally speaking, focus on what you want, show your dog what you want, what you want, what you want. Um, And off, 
air, Matt was just talking to me about his Catahoula leopard dog mix. And he was talking about jumping up. And this is a great example. Well, the dog is greeting. We're not trying to teach the dog to not greet. We're just trying to teach him to greet with different manners (laughs) or with manners and not jumping up, setting a boundary. Well, first of all, we need to show the dog what to do, what we want them to do during greeting, because it's not about not greeting. So just if one thing that's really simple that generally works for dogs is, and especially if dogs are food motivated, is leave, leave a bowl of treats outside. Anytime you or someone else walks in, every time you or someone else walks into the house, you have a treat in hand, the dog comes running over, and before the dog even gets all the way to you, you reach out your hand, assuming the dog does not have aggression issues towards people, and intercept the dog by engaging the dog's nose with the treat, ask them to sit. And um, if you do that every time, every time, every time, every time that happens, every time someone comes in, you ask the dog to sit. Every time someone comes in, you ask the dog to sit. Over and over and over again, you're essentially programming the dog, and the dog will just have an association. So what you'll start to see, someone comes in and the dog runs over and sits. Well, you have now put all of your energy and focus on what you want, not what you don't want. So you work on that, focus on that, put your energy into that. And then when your dog does still make the mistake of jumping up on you, despite all of your efforts to show your dog what it is that you want, then you can clearly communicate, don't do that, by giving a correction. The correction could be something as uh, sort of simple and powerful if the dog wants interaction As soon as the dog puts a paw on you, you exclaim no in disgust and run out the door. The dog's going to be like, holy crap, what just happened? I caused that person to run out of here. That's the last thing I want. I'm excited to see them. And what caused them to do that was me jumping on them and putting my paw up on them. I have seen this have a profound impact on dogs. The dogs are like, what just happened? And then then when I come back in praising them for keeping off, they are um, really thinking about what they're doing with themselves. So it's just putting some responsibility on the dog to control themselves. I'm not asking you to not greet me. I'm just asking you to not jump on me. So it's important that we focus on what we want, focus on what we want, and then when needed, certainly give the correction. Um, but what can happen is people have so much problems setting boundaries and they don't know how to give corrections. And then when they learn how to give corrections, they just focus only on the corrections and that's not fair to the dog, nor is it effective. Something else that I wanted to clarify too about corrections is that I often, you know, I say all, all the time, I always balance positive reinforcement and correction in working with dogs in general. And as I just said, Focusing on what you want. Most of your energy should go into what you want, what you want. That's a good sit. That's a good off. Good, good, good. Frame your dog as a good dog. And then set boundaries where they're needed and do it effectively. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean when I say that I balance praise and correction, it doesn't mean that they always go together in every situation. And um, there's certain things where you just need to establish with your dog, we just don't do that. Um, I was working with a a new client last night. Uh, We had a first lesson, a tiny little um, shih tzu. 
five pound Shih Tzu, year and a half old male. And one of the things that he does is he chews on cords, chews on the computer cords. And what what they were doing, because they had read, and in a lot of situations you do apply this, but not in this situation, that you tell the dog no and then praise them for what you want. But in some situations, that's confusing. And I liken it to shoplifting, like for kids. Shoplifting, for if you have a child, you just don't do that. So if you shoplift something, there's going to be a consequence. It's just expected that you don't do that. I'm not going to reward you for not shoplifting. And I'm especially not going to reward you for shoplifting, putting the item back on the shelf after you got caught. I'm not going to go and reward you for that. Oh, that was such a good no shoplift. Just don't do it. And there's definitely some situations like that, I think, with dogs where, you know, of course, in the context of focusing on what we want, sometimes you just catch them doing something. You just want to extinguish that behavior and just correct the behavior and then don't go and right after that praise them. That's confusing. Um, so that's something that I hear a lot from people just to clarify that um, in training a lot. Um, really training, mostly you're focusing on what you want, what you want, what you want, what you want. And then if they don't do it, once they've learned it, you just kind of wait, you know, make them do it using time, not force. Um, and really balancing the praise and correction. But there's some situations where you just need to tell them, hey, uh, don't ever do that again. And that's it. You don't need to go and praise them right after that. It's kind of weird. Um, Okay, so when we come back from break, I'm going to just share a little bit about what I've learned. As we're talking about setting boundaries, one of the things that this article talks about, it's from Psychology Today, uh, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free, talking about what place that has in our relationship with our dogs. And really, one of the things that it comes down to is about being powerful. And this is an area where people aren't necessarily comfortable, maybe they're Um, not confident in in asserting themselves in general or maybe not just not with their dog. And I see this especially with women. And one of the things that I was inspired to do was research the history of the word bitch. Where did this come from? I think a lot of people know that it's also the term for a female dog. How did women get it (laughs) labeled onto them? It's certainly not complimentary. So when we come back, I'll talk about that. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, 
raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to BioClean, we cover the world of living successfully with your animal friends. This week, January 12th, it's our first Vet Sunday of the new year. Dr. Bill Burlingame will join us in the studio. We'll be talking about immune support for our animal friends and ourselves, Pluckner syndrome and cold lasers, plus open phone lines. So plan to give us a call with all your animal medical care questions on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. 50. Stay informed with news, traffic, and weather at the top of the hour, weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Welcome back to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Getting into some juicy conversation today about the word no, talking about in the um, first part of the show, uh, a article in the current edition of Psychology Today magazine, The Power of No, How Setting Limits Sets You Free. What does that have to do about your relationship with your dog? And uh, talked a lot about that. If you missed any part of this show or any of our almost 250 episodes now, you can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. And also on iTunes as a free audio podcast, you can download them for free on iTunes. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And a reminder, if you are not already a fan of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook, find us on Facebook and become a part of the conversation in between shows. So switching gears a little bit, but it's definitely related. I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the word bitch. Because when we're talking about setting boundaries, a lot of what we're talking about, I mean, in general, you can apply this to anything. My conversation is around communicating with dogs, but uh, this applies to relationships in general. We're talking about, you know, personal power, being powerful, setting limits. This is what I will do. This is what I will not do. And it's an area where people are a little jumbled and I think maybe not well, I think maybe especially women or women in a unique way. Uh, There has been a lot of, in our history, of being kept out of power. It still happens today. And one of the things that um, I recently researched was the history of the word bitch. Because something that I think is unfair is that it's a fine line that women walk to be powerful in the world and to not be labeled a bitch. Um. Being labeled a bitch is definitely not a um, compliment. It's not complimentary. We don't have a positive association to that. Generally, we think of bitches as unlikable, not fun to be around, not warm. So I was like, well, where did this come from? I know that it comes from the term for a female dog, but how did it get sort of moved over to women? And, you know, when did it happen and how did it happen? So I found a consistent information on the Internet uh, one from Wikipedia and others um, from other sources that the word bitch originated around the year 1150 A.D. Uh, bitch comes from 
um, a word for female dog, and um, it was, let's see, the the Oxford English Dictionary dates the term meaning female dog to around 1000 AD, so about 50 years prior. Um, the first use of the slang term seems to have originated to describe a promiscuous or sensual woman, a metaphorical extension of the behavior of a bitch in heat. So that's where the intact female dog behavior comes in. So originated to describe a promiscuous or sensual woman. Wikipedia then says, bitch remained a strong insult through the 19th century. Um, it says the most offensive appellation that can be given to an English woman, even more provoking than that of whore. And something that struck me was that it says that it remained a strong insult. And my question is, why would describing a woman as sexual or sensual be considered an insult? That to me is just not fair. And so it's like, okay, well, what was the sort of climate you know, in the, you know, 1100s. (laughs) Uh, So wanting to kind of understand the times. Well, it wasn't a really great time to be a woman for sure, or really human, um, or a dog for that matter. So what was the world like for women around the time of the first millennium? In Christian Europe, which is where it originated, it was hardly a golden age. It was a violent time when nobles and their knights were preoccupied with holding on to their land and peasants suffered periodic invasions of armies bent on destruction and pillage. All classes lived uncomfortably in rude, unsanitary houses. All faced recurrent famine, often caused by poorly tilled lands and disease, often caused by polluted water, tainted foods, and unsanitary living. In this disruptive time, the idea of chivalry toward women didn't exist. The killing of innocent women as well as children and the elderly commonly occurred in any town or castle that dared to resist an attack. In war or peace, anyone could be maimed or killed at the whim of those in power. In general, women were not held in high esteem and had few rights. Women were felt to be untrustworthy and more easily seduced by the devil than were men. No woman is good unless she be a saint, was a common saying. As potential sinners, women were expected to watch themselves and be ashamed of their clothes and beauty. In France, women were compelled to cover their heads. Hiding the hair was a symbol of a woman's dependence upon a man's will, as well as a way to protect her from male advances. In some parts of Germany, a husband still had the right to sell his wife. The physical punishment of wives was common, even encouraged, to keep the nagging women from talking back or being disobedient. Since women's intelligence was questioned, Their education was limited to learning the skills needed at home. So that's the environment of the 1100s for humanity and for women specifically. And that's also the time that the term bitch transferred from female dog to human woman. And we are still using it today. Um, It's just amazing that something that originated in such a, a time that really lacks credibility Um, that we're still really suffering from it because, you know, it's all about, um, you know, we're talking about power. So if if there is a term that is a a definitely a negative term that gets applied to um, a woman acting powerfully, 
then it's going to dissuade women from acting powerfully. It's just not socially acceptable. And it's not fair because we do, like I said earlier in the segment, we walk a fine line as women to be powerful and um, setting boundaries, having limits, getting stuff done. Um, oftentimes we get labeled as being a bitch. And sometimes, you know, I mean, that's not a, that's not a pleasant association. Um, and we have a lot to learn, both men and women, about really, you know, true leadership and uh, and how to motivate. And I think, you know, the world of working with dogs really opens up a lot of, of really cool stuff around that conversation because dogs are great judges of leadership. They they do teach us a lot about leadership, especially in the context of the nonverbal communication. It's not just about talking, 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 but it's really about what you do, your actions, how do you motivate, how do you hold yourself, what's the quality of energy that you're generating. And there's just a lot there. And it's a conversation that I love being in with my clients, um, working with training and behavior and really, okay, how do how do we get you to kind of set some boundaries and, um, and m- maybe be more of a leadership presence to your dog, but without being unpleasant and without taking away your dog's will and choice and personality as well, um, because they have that too. So there's a lot there, a lot to talk about, and it's a conversation I'm in almost every day, and I'm grateful for that. If you want to learn more about my uh, training and behavior consultations, you can find me online at sensitivedog.com. And of course, the radio show is found at dogradioshow.com. All of our episodes are archived online. Please find us on Facebook as well. And I look forward to being back next week. I'm going to be talking about dogs in weddings next week. And one of our partners, Jenny Harding with New Chapter Weddings, will be with us talking about all the different ways that she's seen dogs participate in wedding ceremonies. And I'll be posting some really fun pictures on Facebook for that as well. So join us next week. Big thanks to our other partners, the Natural Pet Pantry and Access. Uh, Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services and New Chapter Weddings. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. When your dog or cat is sick, you go to the vet. But sometimes they need more advanced care with a veterinary specialist. Hi, I'm Dr. Beth Davidow with Animal Critical Care and Emergency Services. Veterinary specialists receive more than 10,000 hours of extra training in dedicated fields like radiology, surgery, cardiology, oncology, and more. If your pet is facing a complicated health issue, it may be best to see a specialist. Talk to your veterinarian about the appropriate time for referral. To learn more about access and our specialists, visit criticalcarevets.com. Hey, Seattle, this is Julie Forbes. When I got engaged a couple of years ago, one of the first things my fiancé said about our wedding was, we need a wedding planner. I thought to myself, what do we need a wedding planner for? 
We hired Jenny Harding and New Chapter Weddings, and I now know there is no way we could have done it without her. If you are planning a wedding or corporate event, do yourself a favor and hire New Chapter Wedding and Event Planning. They did an amazing job for us, and they will for you. Find them online at newchapterweddings.com.